Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and today we're talking banking once again. That's right, you asked me to bring on some bankers so that you can figure out how you can get more business from a banker. We're going to talk about that today because my guest is Patrick Osborne. He's the managing director at CIBC. He manages big relationships with companies, and he's going to help us get some insight into how to connect with a banker and how to do business with a banker. So please join me in helping to welcome Patrick to the Inside BS Show. Patrick, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you having me. All right. So tell us how you became a banker. Were you a little baby banker and you grew up into a full-grown banker or did you just kind of fall into this? Um, What got you started and how did you become a banker? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think any, you know, second grader wakes up and is like, I want to be a commercial banker. Um, It's not like being a cop or a teacher or a firefighter. But for me, uh, I always knew... I kind of want to manage my own business. Both my parents, they were traders. They met on the floor. They always worked for themselves. Uh, So when I went to college, I was interested in entrepreneurship and just driving businesses and their growth. And the financial crisis hit and I became more interested in in banking and its role in the overall economy, kind of greasing the wheels of commerce. So for me, Coming out, I was I knew I wanted to work at a bank. I had the opportunity to get credit trained at Northern Trust and for a while focused on large corporate and middle market lending and became particularly attracted to working with middle market clients. And you can be just more much more value add and consultative. And for me, it's something I've been doing for over a decade and I love and uh Look forward to continuing to do it. That's great. Patrick, for for the benefit of those listening, watching, and for me, what? how do you define middle market? Because I've heard a couple of different definitions. So define middle market for us. Uh, the first rule is every definition is going to be different. That's the problem with how people define middle market. But for me, typically, what we're talking about, like our sweet spot would be 25 to 500 million in revenue. Um. I have clients smaller than that. I have clients larger than that. But I would say most of my time, I'm focusing on clients of 25 to 500 million in revenue that are in Chicagoland. And then kind of a unique niche for our team is we also have a specialty lending to non-bank lenders, so especially finance companies, factoring companies, asset-based lenders. We basically lend money to companies that lend money to people or companies that don't qualify for traditional bank financing. Wow. So when you when you talk about those particular companies, what's the underwriting process like? Because there's got to be an additional level of risk, right? So what's the underwriting process like when you lend money to people who are non-traditional bank clients? Yeah, that's a great question, Dave. I mean, you are looking at how they underwrite their clients, how they collect, how they... Uh, their risk processes. So it's almost like lending to a smaller bank and you think about, hey, what's our policies and procedures internally? Um, and you have to be conscious too with how, you know, unlike some other businesses like, hey, is this, because it's a, you know, it's a typically a higher price loan product than like what we're offering to make sure there's no CFPB issues or other items. So you're very conscious of how they market their product, how they, um, interact with their underlying consumers. Um, it's something I, I didn't always do, like back in my 
my, my entire career and, and my typical portfolio is traditional commercial industrial or CNI clients that are, you know, probably held businesses with the business owner, but it's a unique niche that we work with. And I think it's helpful t- sometimes when you're interacting with uh, clients that are not quite bankable. Um, you can sometimes refer them to a factoring up like solution or an asset based lender that might be a bit more flexible than a traditional bank. So Patrick, when you're when you're out talking to people, who, how do you describe who your ideal client is? I would imagine you say like 50 million to 500 million in annual revenue, then what other what other qualifiers do you put on it for who's your ideal client? Yeah, I mean for us it would be exactly in, in that in that window of 25 to 500 million. Um, and it's it's a company typically working with a business owner that wants to have a holistic relationship with us as a as an institution. Um, we want to support you, the business owner, not just your business, but yourself personal. And you know, with a, with a middle market business, um, you know their business is their greatest asset, and you want to be conscious of both sides of that coin and helping them both on the personal side and on the commercial side. So you have, I would imagine that you have a, you have a counterpart on the, on the personal side, right? Cause you handle the commercial stuff or do you, are you the relationship manager for, for everything on both sides? I would just be the relationship manager on the commercial side. So to give you an example, we, some of my clients are professional service firms. So there could be a situation where uh, we had a principal that was, retiring and he sold about 10% of his equity to 10 junior partners at the firm. My colleague on the wealth management side was able to assist and provide a shareholder loan program uh, for those 10 individuals so they could buy equity in the company. So that was a good example of us working kind of hand in hand and being a larger bank with those type of resources where we could find that solution for our client. Yeah, that's actually, that's a really good example because I spend a lot of time on the show and in my day job, which is coaching, you know, professional services, uh, business owners, uh, firm owners, and sole practitioners, I spend a lot of time talking with them about succession planning and buy sell agreements and that sort of thing. So the example that you gave there is a terrific one because you have a shareholder who's retiring and he or she wants to get out of the business, but his partners or her partners may not have the resources to purchase their shares. And what you just described is a, is a terrific scenario for how that, how you can help them leverage the, you know, their, their own personal borrowing power to buy this person out. So I think that's a great example. Patrick, do you find that with these middle market companies, because you're focused on this area, you're all the time, you're almost always dealing with either a family run business or a business that's run by a handful of people. And that leads to greater opportunity for you as a banker. I mean, if you were dealing with like IBM, you know, you're, you know, or, you know, one person at a large Colossus, you know, you're dealing with one person, but here you can do their commercial banking. You can do their personal banking. Is that why the middle market is such a sweet spot for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you what, especially back in my, in my prior institution, CIBC, you know, we've built a, an engine that's, you know, laser focused on delivering solutions to middle market companies, the business and the business owner. Uh, but yeah, when you're working with large corporate clients at my 
Prancer institution, we were a participant in a lot of large corporate deals. So when it's a $2 billion loan and your commitment's $50 million, you, about, you get about a half hour with the assistant treasurer once a year. Um, you know, it's not very value add. They've got a full finance department. Um, it's hard to be consultative and help them. But when you're, the reality is that a smaller firm, um, the bench is often thinner. Um, and that's where, when I think about, um, you know, the value of being connected and providing almost like a concierge service to our clients, because, you know, they might not know an attorney that could help them or an accountant with a specialty in a, a tax matter that would be important to them or an insurance broker that would be helpful when they're looking over their employee benefits. A publicly traded company just has vast more resources to deal with that. And that's where when you're coming in on the middle market, I just feel um, it's just more tangible. And, and, and you can be more value add to your client because ultimately, you know, cash is the ultimate commodity. Our money is not any greater than any other banks. You have to add value in other ways. Uh, and that's by building a relationship with them, listening to them and being helpful. Um, so that to me, I just always was attracted to the middle market and helping those businesses. Um, so that's where I focus my career. And your what's your what's your business development process like? Of course, I'm sure you love referrals, right? Because somebody connects you with someone who has a need for a banker, it's that much easier. But how do you you know how do you start your day, and what is the what is the business development uh, process like? for somebody who works in commercial and industrial banking? Yeah, so it's certainly different than, um, I think how like banking sometimes shown in like an old timey movie where you walk into Mr. Potter's office and you ask for like a loan and it's not like that. It's really often we're calling you and reaching out. And, you know, I think direct calling um, works well, but it's, it's really somebody that you have, you have some history with, like cold calling is not the, the way to get it done. Um, so I like using tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator, often just seeing, you know, second degree connections and having some type of warm introduction to somebody. Um, and using, you know, provisors in that network is helpful as well. And it can be, you know, there'll be conferences that can be helpful, um, you know, like ACG, uh, the Association of Corporate Growth, I've, those events have been helpful. Um, conferences in general that we could be putting on our events that we've put on. We've had like uh, food industry conferences that CIBC has hosted. Those type of events to bring people together. And obviously with the pandemic, some of the event, event opportunities were diminished, but that's certainly and thankfully seem to have changed as we've begun this year. But those are always, um, you know, a warm referral and direct calling are 
typically what we do. All right, great. So Patrick, take a minute and think about the answer to this question. I want you to tell us a business development success story. It could be by referral. It could be just Patrick Osborne being Superman and finding somebody on the street who needs help, whatever. I want to, I want a really good, solid business development success story for you. Take a minute and think from you. Take a minute and think about that because I need to remind folks that we're brought to you by Sundrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, Sundrowski has provided expert client service to people all over the United States. Now, they help with tax planning, they help with business valuations, dispute advisory, litigation support, forensic accounting, risk management. They can do it all, and they do a really great, sophisticated, high-level account. They do really great, sophisticated, high-level accounting work, and they do it in a way that will provide you with that consultative service. You heard Patrick describe it. You know, he's focusing on middle market companies. Well, that's a sweet spot for Sundrowski too. And why is it a sweet spot? Well, Sundrowski has all sorts of resources at their disposal to save you money on your taxes. So let's say you're thinking of selling your business and you're going to have a liquidation event. You're going to pay capital gains tax on whatever the proceeds of that sale are, unless you went to Sundrowski about five years before you were ready to sell your business. You're doing under 50 million in annual revenue and Sundrowski has structured your business so that you can take advantage of a qualified tax exemption for small businesses. This tax exemption is a part of the internal revenue code. Everybody knows about it, but few accounting firms focus on it. Why? Because it's nuanced and because the big four don't spend a lot of time working in this area. Sundrowski happens to have deep expertise in this area. So if you're thinking about selling your business at any point in the future, the best time for you to call Sundrowski would have been the day you formed your business. The second best time is right now. Reach out to them today. Call 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sundrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. Listen, you need a business development plan. You don't have to start from scratch. I've got one for you. It's the same plan I use with my clients. It's relationship-based. So you're not going to be making cold calls. We're not putting up billboards. We're not doing bus bench advertising. We're doing hardcore thought leadership and relationship-based business development. I'm going to give you my plan for free. You can customize it for your business. This is what I do with my clients. I take the plan, I customize it for them, and then we help them execute it. You can get your plan by going to this website, revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, download your Revenue Roadmap Guide for free today. We're talking with Patrick Osborne. He's a managing director at CIBC. He works with commercial clients. So if your business is in the range of, say, $25 million on up, you can call Patrick and he can give you a hand with a whole host of banking features. Reach out to him at 312 564 2879-312-564-2879. Okay, Patrick, give us an inspirational business development story from your past. So this will touch on a few of the topics we had touched, Dave, but um, it was a referral from uh, Michael Schnitzler, who I've gotten to know, and he's at Insperity, both through the Entrepreneurship Institute and Provisors. And it was a individual who's a business owner. And, and this kind of goes back to the, the wide definition of middle market. This is somebody who their business was closer to 10 million um, and we we're uh, in revenue and we we're talking to them about their business. 
and it became clear that um, you know this was sort of right after PPP, and they got taken care of the, by their bank. You know, it was um, they were delivering everything they needed on the corporate side, but in talking to him, you could tell, and the questions I was asking, he was very dissatisfied on the personal side. And he'd mentioned the bank that he was with, and he'd been with them for 30 years. And he's like, I don't know anybody over there. No relationship. Um, and he said his, like I said, his business there for 30 years. No talk with him, too, about, um, he was in his early 60s. And, you know, you wouldn't operate your business out of budget, you shouldn't operate your business out of an estate plan either. Because every successful business, two things are going to happen. It's going to either be sold or you're going to pass it on to the next generation and you want to be prepared for both. And it was clear that his incumbent bank was not having those conversations with him. So I was able to make that a referral then to one of my colleagues on the wealth management side. Um, we was able, were able to garner his personal business. Um, and for me, that was a sort of a recent example, talking to somebody, um, being attuned to what their issues were, being thoughtful too about not only, you know, hey, oh, you, you don't need a $10 million loan right now. Like, I guess you're no use to me. Like, that's not the case at all. I was finding, uh, we have a, you know, a large toolbox of tools we can provide business owners and it's providing them services. Or even though I might not be able to, be lending you a loan right now, I can connect you with people that can provide you services that are helpful. So for me, that was a nice uh, victory for the client. You know, it doesn't, that's not the type of interaction that makes my year from a scorecards perspective, but that's not how I measure success anyways. No, I think that's a great example. And here, I, you know, there's two things that really jump out at me from that example. The first is when you mentioned that he said he had no relationship and nobody had talked to him and he had been at that bank for 30 years, right? Now, look, $10 million in annual revenue, to me, and maybe to you, that's a lot of money, but to a bank, you know, I mean, 10 million bucks in annual revenue, okay. I mean, his deposits at any given time may be one or two. He may need a line of credit, but he's not gonna need a massive line of credit because he's, you know, he's just not huge. So maybe nobody talked to him because, hey, listen, there are, you know, there are $50 million people on, on a spreadsheet that I have to check off a box that I reached out to this month. I didn't have time to get down to the $20 million people, let alone the $10 million people. But he connected with you and to him, his business is the most important thing in the world. And you recognize that and you were able to connect him with somebody at uh, CIBC who also recognized that and for your trouble, who knows what could happen? He could move his line of credit over to you. He could move his commercial deposits over to you. I mean, down the road, he could need help with succession planning in his business himself. So there's a whole host of things that could come from that conversation. The second thing that I really liked about what you did there is you thought about him and not about how you could fit him into what Patrick Osborne needed, right? You thought about how the bank could service him and it was on the personal side. So like you said, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really the biggest deal for you from a, you know, from a, a checkbox perspective from for your compensation or for how you're measured. 
But down the road, he's going to surprise you one day and he's going to call you and he's going to go, hey, Patrick, guess what? The time is right now. We need to buy some new equipment. I need to look at some equipment financing from you or something. So I love how you put his needs ahead of what you were trying to accomplish and didn't try and jam him into a business thing right from the beginning. So that's a great lesson for everybody who's listening there. So Patrick, if you were to give us some advice when we're, you know, in business ourselves and we're reaching out to bankers to connect with bankers to, uh, to do business with them. You know, I joked with you before, uh, before the show started today, when people ask me, how do I get referrals from a banker? I tell them, look, you can either put a million dollars in a bank or refer the banker three clients this month and you'll get the banker's attention. Now we know that's a good start, but what are the, what are kind of the Patrick Osborne rules for doing business with a banker? What can you share with us that will make us better educated on how to connect with a banker and do some business with a banker so that, you know, we can get a relationship going. Sure. So I think um, you want to be thoughtful about the, your, your thing about your business, thinking about all the things um, that would be attractive to a bank. So it could be your, your, your personal assets, it could be your deposits, it could be the actual assets of the business, um, how to leverage all those. And I think it's, it's being thoughtful and being open with the information. And, it's, and being open with that information is critical because um, the devil's always in the details with the financials. And I think people, you know, changing banks are talking to banks it's it's intimate it's 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 personal financial numbers or it's corporate financial numbers um you know it's not like figuring out where to go to lunch it's like figuring out where to live that's why people don't change banks every every year i mean i don't know about yourself personally dave but i assume you're not changing your bank every year so for so when i think when you want to have it, it never there's a couple of things to keep in mind it never hurts to pop up open the hood and take a look and making sure you're getting the best deal possible so you might have been with said bank let's say for 30 years but is that deal the best deal for you you and your business still maybe it is and that's great you get that validation but it doesn't hurt to consult somebody else and take a look the other is to be open with that information and what you're sharing. You know, we need to look at often at the size of the businesses that I'm talking about and their loan needs. You know, we're going to need audited or auditor prepared financial statements and being prepared for that and being thoughtful about, hey, what does the bank need to be able to get the get their transaction completed? Um, and it's being open about that information. I mean, I've had conversations with prospects for you know over a year and then you finally look at the financial financials and you're like oh we can't get anything done you know that was like was that a good use of both of our times where we could have been you know open and honest 18 months earlier um it's just being efficient and thoughtful over its time um and listen i mean i th i think it's uh the other thing would be it kind of goes back to character it kind of goes back to being honest but you know banks banks hate surprises um like just being open and laying all your cards down i think is helpful for you 
and helpful for me that I can provide you the feedback you want and kind of be an open book uh, and let you know that you're getting the best deal possible for you to run your business. So those are a couple. No, that's, I think that's, I think that's terrific. And when, when somebody's out there and they're going to connect you with a referral, Patrick, who's, so we know who a good referral is because we just talked about it. Who's not a good referral? Who would you say that you see, you know, a fair amount of that you wish you didn't? Like people are, people are always sending this type of person to you and you don't, you can't really do anything for them. So what's a bad referral for, for you at CIBC? Man, that's a tough one because you never know when or a referral. You never want to say you never want to say no. Um, can I just maybe say like a, um, a pet peeve? Sure, go ahead. Is when I just get an email with an introduction. Ah, okay. And and sometimes it's like I, I thought this would be a good introduction, and I look at it. I'm like, this wouldn't be a good introduction. I will be. I will meet with this person, and, and and sometimes I've had those, or it's been good. It's been a five or ten minute conversation with, you know, an attorney that focuses on businesses that are like startups, and we've both been like, hey, like, great to meet you, but let's be efficient with our time because I think it's pretty clear neither of us will be able to help each other in the near short term. So sometimes, it, you know, uh, love a referral, but if we if we have a relationship, you should feel comfortable to reach out and be like, hey, I'm, you know, Dave, I'm thinking of introducing you to Bob and you, Bob does this. And if you're like, that would not be a good fit. Um, I would, I, you know, why waste your time with just a introduction out of the blue? I, I love I love that you said that because one of the things that I teach people all the time is you refer business the way you want to be referred. So if somebody's going to send someone to me, here's what I want. First thing I want is I want a heads up first. I want you to call me and say, hey, I met this great guy, Patrick Osborne. He works at a, uh, at a bank. He works at CIBC. He's terrific. He's connected to a lot of business owners, and he really gets into their business. He talks to them all day long about sales, Dave, and he's going to come across some people he can connect you with for sales training. Is this, is this somebody that you would like to meet? And I'd go, sure. You know, here's, there's a couple of reasons why I would meet him, not just for the sales training, but my clients need bankers all the time. So if I can introduce Patrick to two or three people who need a banker for a line of credit or for equipment financing or because they're buying a warehouse, that would be that would be a great opportunity. I would love to meet him. So now this person knows that I want to meet you and they know the reason why. So they can go to you then and they can say, hey, Patrick, listen, I just talked to Dave Lorenzo. He'd love to meet you. He has people all the time who need lines of credit, who need you know equipment financing, who need to finance purchases of warehouses. He also does sales training, and you mentioned that you talk to people all the time who need sales training. I think this is a good fit. You say yes. Now, when the email goes to both parties, people are actually excited about it, and they get the email, and they go, hey, Patrick, how soon can you get together? I think we should talk because there's a huge opportunity for us to do something. On the other side, if he talks to one of us, the referrer, he talks to one of us, and one of us says, oh man, no, I got like 50 bankers. I don't need to talk to another banker. Or listen, I don't need to talk to the sales guy. This guy doesn't, you know, he's not going to come across somebody who's a good fit for me. Then he just lets it go and he saved us a lot of time. So pre-qualifying the referral for both parties not only helps you and me, but it helps you and me when we go to refer him. Because what am I going to do when I go to refer him? I'm going to call the person I'm going to refer to and I'm going to go, listen, 
this guy, he really helped me out. He gave me a good referral. I think he's a good fit for you, and here's the reason why. I'm going to refer him exactly the same way as he's referred me. A name in an email, you know, I call that, Patrick, I call that just an invitation to a cold call, basically. You know, somebody gave me your name, and they said we'd be a good fit. I have no idea if we're a good fit. Do you want to spend 10 minutes talking about if we're a good fit? What's the person going to say? Well, no, not really. I don't want to spend 10 minutes to try and figure out if it makes sense for us to spend 20 minutes talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, I I will say one thing I, I do welcome is... You know, if you're connected with somebody on, on on LinkedIn, it could be your best friend or it could be a passing connection. And I love when people ask me, like, hey, how do you know Dave or how do you know whomever? And I'm happy to be like thoughtful and be like, you know, yeah, that would, I'm happy to make the introduction. I know that per, I, you know, these this has happened with me in like the last 30, 60 days where someone reached out to me like, who is this? I'm like, oh, like he was at my wedding. He was one of my like good friends, like happy to make an introduction. Somebody else was like, you know what? Uh, I met them at a conference. I have, you know, I don't know them well, but I'm happy to reach out to them and be like thoughtful about it. But I want to be honest to you also about like my connection to this person. Like it's, it's more of a passing connection. We're not, you know, it's not somebody that I, you know, went to my wedding (laughs) so i I think that's a good way helpful too like i'm happy to always like connect people that's that's what you need to be able to be willing to do um but just being thoughtful rather than just like email blast yeah i you know the my my guide my rule of thumb on linkedin is i have there's three types of people on linkedin that for me now okay i'm curious to see to see uh how you use it but I went back and I uh, and I blasted out everybody that I didn't have a personal connection with. And the first type of person that I have on LinkedIn are people who, like you said, I know really well. Maybe they were at my wedding or I worked with them for 10 years or they're a really good friend and they have a high profile job and we're connected on LinkedIn. So that's, that's the first type of person. The second type of person is the client or the person that's brought me in to speak. You know, we don't have a tight relationship, but I can reach out to them once or twice a year. They'll take my call or, you know, if they brought me in to speak or if they're a client, I can reach out to them anytime I want, but I got to be really careful who I introduce them to because they're a client. They're putting food on the table for me. And then there's my favorite type of person on LinkedIn. And this is the third category. So I do, I'm probably like you. I do a lot of networking. I belong to a lot of groups and I make the most of those groups. I, you know, I go to social events and I'm constantly meeting with people and finding out who their best clients are. And I take notes and I save the notes so that I know right? And I put, uh, the first thing I do is I go, after I meet them, I go to LinkedIn and I shoot out a connection request so I know how I've met them. And like the group that you and I belong to, Provisors, nationwide group, 7,000 professionals in there, every single one of them, if I reach out to them, if I've been in a Provisors meeting with them, or we've gotten together after a meeting and gotten to know each other, or maybe I've interviewed them on the show, every single one of them will take my call. 
And the reason I love those particular connections is because if somebody goes through LinkedIn and they specifically say to me, hey, I see you're connected to Patrick Osborne. Will you reach out to him? Here's the reason why. We're opening a new business in Chicago and we want to talk to bankers about uh, helping us finance our office building. Like that to me is not only great for you, it's also great for me because you're going to go back to everybody you know in Provisors and you're going to go, that Dave Lorenzo guy, He we just financed a $50 million building because he connected me with somebody and we met through Provisors. And so it's great for you. It's great for me. It's great for the, the organization as a whole. Those are the only people I let into my little gated community on LinkedIn. People who are going to take my phone calls, people who you know, I can put somebody in front of and they'll treat them like they're important. How do you use LinkedIn, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, I, I very, very similar in the sense that it's, it's everyone I'm connected to is somebody I know. Um, and, and again, those might be sometimes more passing connections. People I've only met once or twice. And that's where it, I'll be honest if someone asks me, I'll be like, hey, I don't know them that well. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you get the, if I get like connection requests from like somebody out of the blue, like I will ignore like an it. SEO guy from Bangladesh, you're not going to take that. <laughs> Correct. I mean, it, and because what, what's the? It's not helpful for that individual. It's not helpful for my network to see them connect to that individual. I mean, re- to pick on them for a second, like recruiters can do that too, and I understand because they're reaching out to you to then. But I'm like, I kind of had a default where. I would connect with my contacts and my clients, um, people I know from like the community or growing up or working together. Um, and the one exception I made to where I get an invite sometimes, I'm like, I'm not sure if I, where did I know this person from? Is somebody who like I work at like a bigger bank. It was like, I maybe met them and I'm like totally yeah. like blanking on meeting them. And it would be pretty rude to like deny it. Yeah. Um, that's like the one exception where I've been like, I guess I'll maybe go, but for me, it's people that have been vetted. They're not, it's just not, it, it's not accumulating the most connections. That's right. not valuable. Yeah. And my, my guideline is, so first and foremost, if we've, if we've had a meal together in a business setting and you send me a connection request, I'll take it. I, you know, so like if there's an SEO guy in New York and I'm in New York and one of my buddies is like, Hey, this is, this is my friend. And we sit down and we have lunch together. And that guy sends me a connection request. I'll take it because I've been face to face with him as long as he's not dodgy. You know, if I've been face to face with him and he's a good guy, I'll take the connection request. The second is Anybody in Provisors, I'm also a member of Vistage. I also belong to another international professional organization. Anybody in any of those organizations who reaches out to me and says, hey, Dave, we were just in a meeting together. I'm in uh, San Jose 3, which is a Vistage, or it's a a Provisors group. You know, we were just in a meeting together. I'm in San Jose 3. I saw you, you know, uh, you did a presentation and I really liked it. Let's connect here. I'm going to take that connection. You know, if they mention Provisors, if they mention Vistage, if they mention another group that I'm in and they saw me at a meeting, I'll take the connection and I may reach out to them and say, let's jump on a Zoom uh, meeting for 15 minutes just so that I know what you do in case anybody ever asks me, right? And then, of course, the third group is anyone that my clients want me to meet. 
right? If my client, anybody, I don't care if it's, you know, a Girl Scout selling cookies, if she's got a LinkedIn profile and my client says, you got to meet this person, I'm going to meet him. And if she sends me a connection request, I'm going to take it because my client told me this was a good person. So those are, those are the three connection requests that I always take. If somebody pitches me cold and they mention, like somebody pitches me and they say, hey, I'm a friend of Patrick Osborne's, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reply and I'm going to go, Patrick's a great guy. I spoke to him on the show. Um, how do you know him and why do you think it's a good idea for us to connect? And if they come back with, well, you know, uh, I'm a client of his, I'm going to take the connection. Or if, but if they come back and they say, oh, I play golf with him every couple of weeks and I own a business in Chicago, I'm going to take it because... I know I'm going to do business in Chicago. I'm sure some of my clients could connect with this guy. But if they just say, oh, you know, uh, I, I just saw that you were connected to him on LinkedIn, it may be, you know, I may be on the fence about connecting with them. I And I never, ever remain connected with somebody who the first thing out of their quote unquote mouth is a pitch. So if I connect with somebody and they immediately message me, hey, I could do these five things for your for search engine optimization. I throw them out, I, I, I disconnect with them, and most of the time, I'm going to block them. Because if the first thing out of your mouth is trying to get some business from me, you don't have an external orientation, you're not my kind of person, I'm not interested. Yeah, but you, you made a good point too with regards to like, you go to these, you have these meetings with people, you take down notes, you know, you know items about them, you, you've had the one-on-one -on -one interaction so you can be thoughtful, and so if things come up and I'm like, hey... We have a golf event. I know, I'll know this person's a golfer to reach out to or a Cubs fan, or maybe it's even as simple as like, we are talking about music. I forwarded something to be like, Hey, ball ball is coming to town. I'm not, you know, it's just more of like, I'm thinking of you. It's right. building a relationship. It doesn't have to be like, right. Uh, when you're reaching out to somebody on any platform, if you look at that email and you're like, could be like, this is so generic. Can you be sent to anybody? That's just to me a complete like red flag. Yeah, no, I completely, I completely agree. I, I completely agree. One of the, one of the best things that I've done with, um, with the with the networks that I'm in is focusing on specific types of people in specific geographies and developing relationships with them that will benefit my clients. And I'll give you an example of that. So. Uh, I have a, I have a very good friend who's also a client of mine who's a bankruptcy attorney here in Miami, and they get a lot of their business as referrals from other bankruptcy attorneys because in a big bankruptcy, all the creditors need representation, and most of the time, a, a, an attorney will only represent one of the creditors. So if American Airlines files for bankruptcy, there's going to be 300 creditors that are going to need to be represented, and the attorneys want other people representing the creditors that are rational, normal people. So they're going to try and get their friends the the gig representing the other creditors. So my client loves to meet bankruptcy attorneys in other jurisdictions. I'm a member of Provisors in Chicago, specifically because I want to, I go to Chicago once a month. I have clients there. I want to build my network in Chicago. Well, now I've got four bankruptcy attorneys that I'm friendly with in Chicago. I call my client here and I'm like, listen, I'm going to Chicago the first week of June. I want you to come with me, just spend one day with me. We'll go to breakfast, lunch, and dinner with bankruptcy attorneys and their partners so that you can meet six, seven, 10 bankruptcy attorneys in one day from the Chicagoland area, have a meal with them, and start to develop a real relationship. 
my client was floored. They were absolutely blown away. They were like, you're going to introduce us to 10 bankruptcy attorneys in one day? That's amazing. It's a great use of their time. And they think that I'm thinking of them and that I'm out there developing these relationships on their behalf because I am, right? That's a great opportunity and it's a great way to leverage networking. Now, Think about the other side of that for a minute, right? There's 10 attorneys in Chicago who are going to meet one-on-one -on -one with these two guys who are bankruptcy partners here in Miami, and now they have a connection in Miami, and these guys are going to be thinking about them, so the people in Chicago love me too. That's a great way to leverage your network, and it's probably going to come back to me at some point in the future. But that day that I'm spending and the probably three or four hours to set up those meetings, that's that's time that's, you know, not immediately productive for me, but it's the attitude that's so important. So if you're on LinkedIn and you have that attitude, your message to me should be, Dave, we should connect because I know four people in wherever I live who could be a good connection for you and I'd love to connect with you. Not only am I going to accept that connection, I'm also going to try and schedule a meeting with that person because immediately they're leading with value. And I think that's what you're talking about when you're when you're on LinkedIn. You're there leading with value first. I, I, and Dave, you know, what you're bringing up too, I mean, we can talk about this online, but like I know one or two bankruptcy attorneys I'd happy to make as an introduction. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I mean, honest, but this is what this is all about. It's right. finding yeah. ways to help people. And that doesn't um you know help me you know deliver a loan product and you know it, it's funny with like bankers knowing bankruptcy attorneys like unfortunately of course we do um <laughs> but like i mean that, that could be a offline follow-up item i'm happy to connect you know your client with one or two individuals i think would be good or a good introduction all right so let's do this patrick let's now uh let me get you to think about three things we should take away from our time together three things we want the folks who are listening the folks who are watching to take away from our time together i'll give you a minute to think about that as i remind people we're brought to you by sandrowski corporate advisors so we were just talking about bankruptcy. If you have a litigation matter or a bankruptcy matter and you need to figure out what some of your assets are worth, you got to call somebody who can do a valuation on those assets. And there's nobody better to call than Sandrowski. They've been doing valuations for over 35 years. And here's the thing about the Sandrowski folks that makes them different in this area. They can not only do a fantastic job with your evaluation of your intellectual property, of your asset, of your whole business, but they can also explain the financials to the court if they need to, or to a special master, or well, you know, in, in certain cases, maybe to a receiver or to a jury. They're expert witnesses as well. The valuation itself is important, but being able to explain the numbers and what's behind them, that's also important. And because of their experience, Sandrowski is the go-to firm for this. You can give them a call today at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by my Revenue Roadmap Guide. Get your guide today, get it for free. Reach out to me, just go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your email address, you can immediately download your guide to business development. All right, Patrick, what are the three things we should take away from our time together today? Sure. So. One would be, you don't need to be a borrower or need a loan to be an attractive client of a bank. 
the people need you know depository services wealth management services other capital market services um you know it doesn't have necessarily just need to be a loan um and also be thoughtful too it never hurts to number two you know pop up in the hood and take a look at what you've got you could have uh on the treasury management side you could have a setup that would be is great for you and i would be happy to you know provide that feedback and say you know you don't have to change anything but it was kind of what we were talking earlier that buying you know a bank is like buying a house i mean not everyone need you know if it's just you and your your wife you don't need a five bedroom house necessarily you might be having all these products and services you don't need and it's helpful to have someone take a look at that and bring it down um and again, you know, it's, banks don't like surprises. Time, or I should say problems are not like wine. They don't get better with time. Um, it's, it's, it comes back to, you know, the five C's of credit, but the number one is, is character. And it goes back to what we've been talking about throughout this is relationship, relationship, relationship. Um, and just always being honest and open with communication. I think that is important in all walks of life and certainly in your banking relationship. All right, great advice, Patrick Osborne. If you want to reach out to Patrick, he's a managing director at CIBC. You can call him at 312-564-2879, 312-564-2879. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you very much for having me. Alrighty, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. I'll be back here again tomorrow with another great interview. Until then, I'm Dave Lorenzo. Here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.